Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today we have another very special guest to talk about the NBA draft with us, Keandre from Hoop Intellect over on YouTube. Man, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate y'all for, for having me on the show. Yeah, man, we're excited. Like we were talking beforehand, uh, before we started recording and everything. And Dame's really excited. I'm excited. We watched all your YouTube videos during the pandemic. Like Dame said, you kind of <laughs> got us through that yeah, stuff, man. Facts. Great stuff. So, like Spurs fans, check out his YouTube channel. Really great breakdown. Great stuff. Not just NBA draft, but NBA, all sorts of basketball content. Really good stuff. But man, we'll hop into this. So our listeners are aware. We're recording this podcast May 8th. It's about almost 10 p.m. Central Time, but Spurs fans probably know this by now. San Antonio's in the back of the lottery. That's a third straight year franchise record, and that means we have a ton to talk about with Keandre. We broke down mid-lottery guards last week, and this week we're going to look at three of the best forwards in this class. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into Kendall Brown, Jeremy Sochan, or Suhan, actually, sorry, and (laughs) the last one is going to be Tari Eason. Now, we did this exercise last week, but we want to get your opinion. So of these three guys, how would you rank them, you know, according to each other? You know, one, two, three, where do you have them in relation to each other? And then we'll break them down depending on how you rank them. Yeah, so out of these three, first I would have Tari Eason. Second, I would have Jeremy Sohan. And then I would have Kendall Brown third. Now, Tari and Jeremy Sohan are pretty close um, towards the, the mid to, to late lottery for me. So I have Tari 13th, I have Sohan 14th, and then Kendall Brown is in sort of that 20 to 25 area. I have a big board coming soon this week, so um, those will be finalized soon, but Kendall Brown is in that kind of 20 to 25 range for me, but that's kind of how I have it. Awesome. Dame, how do you see it? How do you have them ranked in relation to one another? Uh, I have uh, Sohan at number one, and then Eason at two, and then Kendall Brown at three. We'll talk more about Kendall Brown. We'll, We'll probably start with him, I'm assuming. But yeah, I think I think for me, that's kind of just how I'm seeing it right now. I think I was telling you Noah earlier in the week how they kind of have like similar offensive limitations for me right now, like Sohan and Eason out the gate. But I think Sohan has a little bit higher upside, but we'll go into that later. For sure. And I think just to round things out here. So on my big board, my personal big board, it only goes to 40 right now. I've been working on it. But 
Right now, I've got Jeremy Highest at 11th, and then I've got Kendall at 15th, and I'm sorry, I also have Tari at 12th, so Tari's the highest, but those are sort of interchangeable for me, Jeremy and Tari. I like both of them for different reasons, so let's go ahead and start with, I guess, the guy who everybody's lowest on, and that's not to say that we don't like this guy, but let's go ahead and start with Kendall Brown. So, Keandre, tell us a little bit about Kendall Brown. Spurs fans probably aren't that aware of you know what his skill set is on the offensive, and we'll start there. You know, unless you're a big Baylor fan and you're a Spurs fan, you probably don't know much about him. So break him down a little bit offensively. What are some of his strengths? You know, what are his translatable skills in the NBA? And then what are some things that he really needs to work on? Yeah, so the first thing that really pops when you watch Kendall Brown is his athleticism. He's one of those guys who once he gets to his spot in the lane, he can really explode off of two feet. He can get up off of one as well, but definitely off of two. And when he gets up, um, it, it is, it's a sight to behold. For sure. Um, he was one of the best cutters in the country, shot nearly 80% on cuts, 1.5 points per possession. And of those with at least 50 possessions, that ranks sixth in the country. So, you know, he's one of those guys who can really, he does a great job of reading what's going on um, and, and really making a play and, and finding those gaps in the defense. And then, you know, as we were talking, just kind of those things that he is. Um, great at offensively you kind of got to look at some of his limitations so you know being able to, to, to knock down a three that's not really one of his strongest suits at this point but on the flip side of that he's somebody who has great feel he's somebody who might not be a primary playmaker somebody who's creating a ton of opportunities for others um, in the half court but he does have a high feel for the game he does make great passes out of you know rebound opportunities you know different sets that they would run dribble handoffs things of that nature he can make the open find the open man and things like that so you know with him it's just kind of a, a all-around thing offensively where you're betting on his feel for the game what he can do in terms of of that area but there are some limitations that he has right now that I think that you'll just kind of work on and you want to see through uh, over time Definitely. And I think I agree with you for the most part there on what you're saying about him. And I love that you mentioned his cutting. So you said he was sixth in the nation, shot 79.2% on cuts, 94th percentile in NCAA basketball division one this season. I thought that really stood out. And I like that because right now, as you mentioned, not really much of a shooter. I know he shot a better percentage than a guy like Jeremy Sohan did, but he was really reluctant, right? He passed a lot of open threes, didn't really seem that interesting shooting. But the thing I did like that it seemed, even though the, the form wasn't like perfect, uh, not like the most smooth motion, it definitely seems like, and this is probably a cop-out to a degree, but getting into an NBA system where you get to work with somebody like Chip England, because I imagine if you take him ninth, he's probably more prioritized than somebody like a Trey Jones who went 41st, or maybe even someone like uh, Joe Wieskamp who went 41st. So I'd like to see what he looks like there. As far as like the self-creation stuff, I didn't think he really created that much for himself or that well from himself from what I saw, but I like some of the other stuff, the intangibles. It seemed like he had a good feel for the game. And it I, I don't know, if, and you can answer this question for me probably, and I'm sure Dame has other questions, but basically from, from what I watched, it seemed like maybe at the next level, I'm not sure to what volume, but he might be able to run some inverted pick and rolls where it's like he, he's the guy who's running the pick and roll, uh, like 5-4 pick and roll, maybe some 5-1 pick and roll, uh, like him and a guard. But I thought he had decent feel as a passer. Like you said, not a guy who's you know a primary engine of an offense or anything like that, no high rep, but it felt like he, he's a really high IQ player, and I like that, and I like what he has going for him in that aspect. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, there's, there are some things that he's going to have to work with. I like what you touched on with Chip England. I think that's going to be kind of a theme with all three of these players where, you know, maybe if they go to a different system, you wouldn't be as confident in them kind of developing a really consistent or at least league average three-point shot. But in a system like San Antonio has, you feel really confident about that coming along. But, yeah, just kind of touching on that, that feel, his ability as a passer once again, um, I don't know if he – really has sort of secondary potential even. I think he's just more of somebody who really fits within the the framework of an offense and can make plays out of that. So, um, you know, just ball reversals, some of the things that you said. I see him kind of more of a wing than these other two guys. I think that they, you know, more seamlessly fit in the in the front court uh, just a little bit better just size-wise. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot there that you like. Like you said, high IQ, high feel for the game and there's a lot of ways that I think that you can use him especially with that athleticism being 6'8 you know the speed that he has the ways that he can get out and transition and, and score the ball that's a big part of his game that's that you really like especially with guys like you know Keldon Johnson you know DeJounte Murray you know pushing the pace so there is there is a lot there to like with him yeah and I think for me one thing that kind of stood out when watching Kendall Brown is as an athlete I mean he's sensational I mean one thing that I was uh, talking to Noah about was I was kind of surprised at how he didn't really like create a lot of separation off the dribble. You'd think, obviously, ball handling is a lot more than just being a great athlete. But you you would think at the next level, if he can kind of work on that a little bit, I mean, there's upside there, right? I mean, even, even as a catch-and-shooter, I think there's upside there. But I think right now he's just really, really raw offensively. You know, in the half court, I like what he does off the ball. But I would love to see some more off-ball uh, or on-ball reps for him, whether it's in the G League or where who you know wherever he lands. But... I would agree with you know what both of y'all say. One thing that kind of stood out to me, kind of looking up on Kendall Brown too, is um, according to NBADraft.net, around the rim he finished uh, at 78%. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive for a guy that, in my opinion, isn't like necessarily very crafty off the dribble. You know what I mean? So, I think there's there's some things to like here. And like Noah mentioned, like just because he's third, according you know to all of us, that doesn't mean he's a bad prospect or anything like that. Uh, but I think he's definitely kind of like that long-term developmental pick that some Spurs fans probably aren't feeling right now, especially not at number nine. You know, that's just kind of there. I think Noah, <laughs> they're they're pretty much done with the uh, the Josh Primo and all those other kind of guys right now. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of good things there. Even going back to Sunrise, like that's just never really been a part of his game, being able to create off the dribble um, and things of that nature for himself. Now. When he, he had some great moments where he would use push crosses, you know, get all the way to the basket. I remember a, a play specifically where he rejected a screen against Alabama that really stood out in my mind. But, you know, that's going to be something that has to come along in the G League and um, might take a little bit more time and might not have been there as much as the other two guys. So a bit of a project, especially at the ninth pick, but I think especially for the, the 20 and 25, if he lasts that long, that's somebody who you could really um, get a lot of value with. So especially in, with the Spurs, I really like him in that kind of situation. Before we transition, I was going to ask to, uh, to both of y'all. Number one, if the Spurs hypothetically were to trade back in the, in the lottery, my first question would be, do you think that's a guy that they should look at? And number two, uh, my other question is, do you think he's a high, high floor prospect? Because I think the other two we're going to talk about are very high floor prospects. But Kendall Brown, I'm kind of unsure. Uh, I would like to get y'all's opinion on that. I, th- I think it's interesting, uh, at least, again, like just to be to be 100% clear. So this year I haven't done as much draft stuff as I have in years past. Like for all these guys, 
I took their five highest game scores from, from, from basketball reference and their five lowest scores, and then I watched all, the, all those games, those 10 games on Synergy, made notes. So, like, I am missing quite a bit of information, which is exactly why we have Keandre. But from my point of view, it seemed like, for me, defensively, I think his ceiling and his floor is a lot higher than it is offensively. Like, one of the other things that really st- stood out for me is, yes, I think he has some potential to create for others, but it did seem like he, when he put the ball on the floor and when he was cut off, he had a tendency to just sort of, like, continue bowling through guys. He committed a lot of charges that way. Didn't love that. Another thing that... I, I didn't necessarily, well, uh, I'll, I'll go positive. One of the things I did really like was something that Keandre mentioned where rebounding, especially off of offensive rebounds, he was really quick to kick it right back out. Like he seemed to know where guys were on the floor. He made the right read really quick, got it to a shooter. They knock a shot down. I like that. But as far as his, his, his ceiling goes, I think he does have a fairly high ceiling, but I don't know overall offense and defense. I don't know about his floor. Like I think if, if the shot doesn't come around, I don't, I don't really know how much value he has long term, especially if he's not like a ball handler or uh, anything more than like a connector piece. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the reason why he is third for for us. It's just you don't have the same type of confidence in him, you know, developing that handle for more than just, you know, transition, you know, pushing the ball up the floor, making that second move when he gets cut off or, you know, being confident when you're pressured, you know, heavy by the defense. So just a lot of different things. I think we probably should touch a little bit more on his defense, the what he can do on that end, because that's a big part of his appeal, right? Um, at six eight, you know, he could reasonably guard down really well, probably as as well as any of the other guys we'll talk about. Has pretty good awareness off the ball in terms of grasping help defense, help the helper, tagging the roll, things of that nature. Now there were some lapses that he had throughout the season where he would just kind of get caught up watching the ball and you know being too too invested or interested in what was going on there. They led to some back cuts and things like that. But, you know, overall, I really like him on this end, and that's a big part of his appeal. I was wondering what what you guys thought, your perspective on him. Yeah, Dame, did you want to go or do you want me to go? No, that's you, bro. Yeah, I really liked him defensively. I, I agree with you. I don't think he's a guy who will switch up like four and five. It did seem like when he was guarding bigger players that they sort of pushed him around. I know he's six eight. I think he, at least according to Baylor's website, he's like 205. So he is kind of skinny, but he has really good feet. You could see the burst. You could see the lateral, lateral mobility. I think that's really intriguing, especially for a guy who I, I think you're probably right is more of a wing than he is a forward. But that sort of switchability at that size, I think that makes him you know, pretty scheme versatile. Like if you do want to call him a forward, he's not like a traditional drop coverage big where that's all he can do. He can probably do that and he can, you know, switch on the perimeter. So I liked him a lot. And one of the other things that you had mentioned was the ball watching. I didn't think it was that bad. He had one really bad game against Iowa State where he got beat backdoor like I think three, four, five times in that game. And I was like, ooh, that was bad. But really outside of that game, like the other games I watched, I thought he was good there. I thought he was pretty aware. He was good in the passing lanes. Overall, I mean, I I just think he offers a lot with his tools and his IQ, and I think that's what is going to help him really succeed as a defender at the next level. That's what I'm buying in. Yeah, and like like I was mentioning earlier with the athletic profile, like Noah mentioned, like you both have mentioned, I mean, just from his sheer athletic ability, I mean, he's going to be relatively versatile. I mean, he's not, you know, heavy-footed. He's a great athlete, whether it's north, south, east, west. Uh, And I think as well, one thing that's really interesting is mentioning how he's he's more of a wing I could definitely get down with that. I mean, I believe he's 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan as well. So I think there's definitely a lot of versatility there uh, for him defensively. And like you guys have mentioned, that's that's a really big part of why you're buying into him and his development long term. It's because you're going to get a chess piece, a Swiss Army knife defensively. So 
I think there's definitely a lot to like there. And like I've mentioned a hundred times, athletically, man, that's kind of what really selling me and something that really stuck out to me is just how great of an athlete. I believe I was watching a, I was I forgot who I was listening to earlier this morning about uh, Kendall Brown. They basically said like he's one of, if not like the best pure athlete in the class. And I mean that gives a lot of teams a lot to work with, uh, just from a pure like archetype perspective, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely, and and what we can we can sort of talk about him a little bit more, but I think you would agree a little bit, Keandre, here that he is very much like a defense to offense guy. Like once he comes away with a turnover, forces a turnover, you're probably not going to stop him in transition. You'll probably foul him. Not a great foul shooter, not like an awful foul shooter, but like most of the time he's going to finish in transition. And I think that fits really well with the Spurs in the sense that, as you mentioned. You know, they have guys like uh, DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, even like a guy like Trey Jones. Like these guys are forcing turnovers. They're going the other way. And the Spurs really thrived in transition. And so as a player, you know, defense to offense for a team that really needs a guy who's about that 6'8", you know, 6'9", size. Like they just really need that size, that versatility. And, and a guy who sort of fits their defensive identity. And I think he fill, he fills like certain certain holes that Doug McDermott obviously had as a defender. Now, is he is he a shooter like Doug McDermott? No. He's not going to add anything on that end right away, but I do I do appreciate what he brings on the defensive end and I think if I had to be honest, I'd much rather see him out there, you know, 20 minutes per game than see Doug McDermott out there for 20 minutes, 25 minutes per game. I just I'm tired of the Doug McDermott experiment. Love him as a player. Dad's a a great coach. Uh he's a coach's son, all that good stuff, but I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I wasn't in love with what I saw with him and Keldon at the three and four. I don't think that works. Yeah, I think you get a lot of versatility with Kendall Brown in there. And you just got to think of like the idea of having maybe a lineup with, um, you know, you've got Devin Vassell, Kendall Brown, Keldon Johnson out there, you know, wreaking havoc on the wings, being able to switch. Obviously all of them like to play the passing lanes to get out in transition. So that's something that could be really enticing long-term um, to as he continues to develop and get more of a defined role offensively and kind of fit into that framework better. Dame, did you have anything else you wanted to add, or you want to move on to the next guy? We can go to Tari Eason. That's that was or yeah, that's who that's who uh, that's who yeah we had ne- or he had next so yeah let's go let's move on to that. Yeah, we can move on to Tari. So we'll we'll do the same exercise with Tari. What do you like about him offensively? What part of his game is translatable? And you know. What are some things, again, like these guys are not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No prospect is perfect. So what does this guy need to work on a little bit heading into the next level? Yeah, so one of the things that I really like with Tari, you know, he's a wrecking ball of a driver. He's, you know, one of those guys who is sort of a, a will player, kind of just imposes his will and, be, and gets a, is able to, to get to the basket with regularity. Out of all of these players, he's probably the most adept at creating at the moment. Now he's got two years and age on them, so that's definitely a significant thing, but that's one of the differentiators at this point. He's not super controlled or polished at this point, but just being able to, like I said, get a touch in the paint and possibly make a read to, to set up his teammates, that was definitely there in flashes. He's one of the better transition players in the country, about 1.3 points per possession, shot over 68%. Um, he was always looking to get out and run, and he might end up dunking on you um, if you, you make the wrong decision. But, yeah, that's kind of the, the main things. And then, you know, obviously defensively he's got a lot of versatility. I think we'll get to that. But talking about some of the things offensively that, you know, maybe he could work on, I think, you know, he can definitely do a better job of finishing at the bucket. Um, he shot 55% at the basket in the half court, which is only like a few shots 
better than Jabari Smith. Now, Jabari's issue had to do with, you know, being able to get there and then actually get those attempts under the rim, but which is not Tari's problem at all. But he did have some difficulties, trouble, you know, elevating in traffic at times and just being able to, to, to have that sort of touch around the basket and feel. You know, and also just developing some control and, and cutting out those, you know, bad decisions, kind of getting into traffic in no man's land or not having a plan, you know, getting those charges, things of that nature. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the rough gist on, on Tori. I want to know what you guys think and your observations so far on him. Yeah, I think I think for me, me and Noah have discussed numerous times on this podcast how the Spurs essentially, they just need guys that are 6'8", 6'9", you know, 6'7", long wingspan, you know, versatile, can do just about anything for you defensively. I think Tari Eason offers you that kind of right out of the box. Uh, what really impressed me was how much, how much better he improved, uh, not only just overall as a shooter in my opinion as a scorer but i mean just for him in general like he shot he shot 36 percent from th- uh, from three this year and 80 percent from the line i know like free throw percentage isn't always like the go-to like you know indicator of whether someone's going to be a great shooter or not but typically whenever guys are shooting that well from the line i think that kind of translates well as a shooter at the next level so i think just in general i really really like how kind of not necessarily polished but he really does play well to his strengths and I think for me, that kind of creates an illusion. Like, you could say he's polished as a player, but I still think there's a lot of upside, a lot of things uh, for him to grow uh, in his game. So I really liked what I saw. I think from a, just an archetype perspective at 6'8", with a 7-foot wingspan, I mean, the opportunities, the possibilities are endless there. I think he fits exactly what the Spurs need. And I think he has a unique blend of not only upside, but the ability to come in and play right away as well. So that's kind of what I took from it, Noah, uh, Noah and, uh, and uh, Keandre, and I would love to hear you know what y'all think. Yeah, I, I liked him quite a bit, and this is kind of why I go back and forth between him and, and Jeremy. There are things that I think Jeremy might one day be able to do that make him more valuable long-term. But I, I did really like with Tari is, out of the three of them, definitely the most physical driver, was really adept at getting to the free-throw line. I believe he got there 13.3 times per 100 possessions. Clearly not like afraid to embrace contact, seek out contact. And he didn't commit like that many charges, so it didn't really feel like he was out of control but one of the things that you mentioned is yeah he needs to get better at finishing at the rim and one of the the biggest things as you mentioned I think it is the lift in a crowd but I also think it's him being really really right-handed it felt like he always was trying to get back to his right hand he didn't finish that well with his left hand at the rim and even when he was driving to his left it felt like he was always trying to go okay let me see how I can get the ball back into my right hand and it just didn't work that well for him. I don't know if that's kind of what you took away again. I've only watched 10 games for each of these guys, but from what I watched, that felt like a problem for him. So could you maybe tell me, is that is that like relatively accurate to what you saw, or did you feel like he was more, I guess, ambidextrous than I'm giving him credit for? No, that's that's 100% you're on it in those 10 games. He definitely picked up on um, one of his bigger issues, um, you know, along with driving to the left and being able to make something happen. He definitely struggled at, you know, being super right-handed, um, and you can, you can, it tell it showed um, in the in the finishing numbers too. So that was a big thing. Um, one thing I would also add is just kind of, um, you know, being able to to shoot that pull up. He doesn't really have a lot of that in his game quite yet. Now I do like his handle, especially relative to these other guys. Um, there was some moments where he would, you know put together some crossovers and get all the way to the basket or even, you know, shoot a couple step back jumpers and, and things of that nature that you really like to see 
again, going into the NBA, some of that is going to have to, you know, go away for a little bit. It's going to have to take some time before he can really add that to his game. But it's something that you you definitely like to see. But like the other two as well, defensively, he really has a lot of versatility and a lot of value, especially in this San Antonio situation. I think he slides right into that four spot, and you can do a lot of different things with him. Um, and I, did, I also think he's probably the uh, most ready to contribute right now. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think I think that's pretty fair. Oh yeah, no, I was going. Yeah, I was going to say too. You guys both mentioned the free throws, his ability to kind of draw contact, get to the line. The Spurs were last in free throw rate uh, in 2021, so I think immediately that he's offering something there. Before I um, before you know I kick it to you, I want to ask you a couple questions. Same questions I asked with Kendall uh, Kendall Brown. At nine, do you guys think that's you know a, a really good pick for the Spurs? And not only that too. Do you think he's a guy that not only I mean we mentioned I can come in right away, but do you think he's a guy that can come in and start right away, or do you think that he would need to come off the bench? Now I know I know I know Pop would probably bring him off the bench, but I think you hypothetically do you think you could see him starting right away? I could see it. I think there would be some just lineup dif- difficulties just based on like shooting and, and spacing and things like that. I could see it, um, especially defensively. I think that he'll be able to be just fine from the jump. Especially when you got guys like like Dejounte out there, um, leading them, and, and you know Pirtle on the back end being able to to be that guy that he is. But also, kind of, I wanted to touch on what you said about him as a shooter. So he shot 57% from the free throw line his freshman year. Comes back, shoots 80% on way more volume. That is a very great indicator, and at least he's making progress. Like that's a big jump for somebody to make from the freshman to sophomore year. And then again, going into that Spurs program, you have to be confident in, in what they can do uh, development-wise. I do think there are some mechanical issues in there. Um, we won't have to get like all the way in-depth in that. But yeah, that, that, that improvement from one year to the next is definitely something that you like to see. I'm just kind of talking about his overall game, what he can eventually bring to the table in the NBA. And I think, like, as far as his jump shot goes, this is probably an exaggeration to to a certain degree. But it kind of reminds me of how I shoot a basketball. Like, I don't shoot a basketball, like, picture-perfect form. I kind of shoot it a little bit on the right side of my body. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, Matt Bonner, how Matt Bonner used to shoot on the <laughs> side of his head. Now, it's probably not, it's not that exaggerated, but also he's not, like, a Matt Bonner-level shooter. Like, he's not shooting that volume. He's not shooting that percentage. And I think... Maybe it won't, but it definitely definitely felt like it limited him as a pull-up shooter. Like it wasn't like the quickest motion. It is on the right side of his face, so it kind of felt like okay, if he's driving right and he pulls up right, not really that big of an issue. But if he's driving left and he pulls up, it felt like he got a lot more of those shots blocked or at least altered where they just didn't look very good. So I don't know how I don't know how that translates. I'm sure that's something that maybe they can work out. They, they, like you, like we mentioned, I mean, they've helped a guy like DeJounte Murray, not a jump shooter whatsoever. Now he's one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA coming along as a three-point shooter. Keldon, uh, he was a fairly good shooter at Oak Hill. He was a fairly good shooter at, at uh, Kentucky. And, and now he's, you know, one of the best standstill stationary shooters in the NBA. So you don't necessarily need Tari to be a guy who's pulling up from everywhere, a motion shooter, running off screens or anything like that. But I have confidence that, you know, if you get him in San Antonio's system, he's working with a guy like Chip England. He's with this developmental staff. I like him a lot. And so what you asked, Dame, is, you know, would he be a pick that you like at nine? I think, yes, I would be fine with him at nine, just so long as, like, other guys who are on my personal big board are are not there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if other guys are still available that I like more, 
then yeah, I think, okay, maybe we go with those guys. The only exceptions I would probably make, and maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong, but like if Benedict Matherin st is still there and maybe a guy like Johnny Davis is still there, maybe you go to a certain degree a little bit more with your positional need than a fit because I just, I don't know if you can pass up on Tari for a Johnny Davis who, I like him, I just don't know if he makes a lot of sense for San Antonio and the players they already have on the roster. Yeah, I think that makes and another thing too, like I know when we had uh, we had Corey on last week, we were talking like hypothetically if Shaden Sharp was there at nine, right, would you take him? And it was like, Oh, it's a no brainer. I think like un unless there's something like that there, yeah, I think you go with Tari Eason or I mean Jerry uh Jeremy Sohan if you wanna kinda move in that direction, I think that'd be a that would be a, a pick that I'm really down with and I think personally, man, the upside is, is real, but I think Tari right out the box gives you a lot more from day one. I, th I think he does too. Yeah, I th I was gonna say you know the same thing. Basically, there's a lot of prospects that are kind of similar in in sort of that same range right there. So unless it's a guy like Shaden Sharp, you're not really going to to make too many different decisions on that front. Like the guys you mentioned, you know Johnny Davis, Benedict Matherin. I would rather personally just for the Spurs have Tari, you know Sohan, you know these kind of guys in that range. Just given what we talked about, the defensive versatility, you know, to be able to do a lot of different things. And you already have DeJounte, you already have Devin Vassell, you got Keldon Johnson, who you really like, then are, you know, similar in age. So um, that'd be the direction that I go in. Yeah, I think I think that is the right decision to make. And, and I think lastly, because I don't know how much we touched on this, but like Tari Eason out of these three guys, by far the, the best event creator. I mean, steal percentage, block percentage, even if you go just by blocks per 100 possessions, steal per 100 possessions. Like, he's a guy who's going to create a lot of havoc, and I'd love to see how that looks, like, next to a guy like DeJounte, who is similar. Like, he is an event creator. He does come up with a lot of steals. It does lead to fast breaks, and that is sort of San Antonio's identity right now is, okay, let's get in transition. Like, they're rebounding, they're running. They're trying to create stops. They're trying to force turnovers, and they're running. You know, they, they ran, I think, at the third fastest pace in the NBA last season. I think he makes a lot of sense for a position that – you know, one, it's a position of need. Two, there is upside there. And three, he does fit your identity. So I, I like him a lot. But Dame, you can go ahead and move us along to Jeremy if you want, unless you have anything else that either of you really want to say about Tari. Yeah, I think I think it's it's nice that we go here with Jeremy Sohan. Something that someone that that was the first guy that I actually watched in preparation for this week. And uh, no, I threw out a couple of comps like earlier in the week whenever I was telling you. And I liked what the ringer had. Like the ringer had like some shades of like Draymond Green. Personally, I know this is kind of crazy because he's not in like a, a below the rim player. But I think below the rim, he like reminds me a lot of like the way Aaron Gordon plays. I've seen that comp thrown out a little bit. I've seen a Kyle Kuzma comp that I was not feeling. I did not, I don't see no Kyle Kuzma in so on game. Uh, but I think just in general, I, as an athlete again, he offers you so much. And not only that, too, defensively, we've mentioned, you know, defense with all three of these guys. He's just as versatile as all of them and potentially even a little bit more. Uh, and I think, too, one thing that, that just really kind of stood out to me was how how much I've mentioned and how much Noah and I have mentioned how the Spurs need those guys that are 6'8", 6'9", you know, plus defenders. Noah, you've mentioned how, like, Tari's like an event creator. I think Sohan is whatever you think that is and then some, right? I think... I, th I mean, uh, I think Jeremy's uh, everything you think that is, and then some. Like, I think there's just so much versatility there. And I think offensively, we still don't kind of know where that ceiling is, right? We're kind of, we're, we're a little bit unsure. 
Uh, he's going to be someone that, you know, two, three, four years down the line, I think you're going to kind of really start to see kind of come into his own. I think, honestly, he's one of those guys that I mentioned this to Noah, you know, prior to the, the show that he's a guy that some people think, have a, you know, he's a high floor and a high ceiling kind of guy. And I could see that as well. I think off the ball, he can offer you a lot defensively again, right out of the, you know, right out of the gate, he can give you a lot. So for me, he's someone that I think San Antonio at pick number nine, I, I, unless a shade and sharp is there, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they went that route. I think he just makes too much sense. Uh, but Keandre, I'll kick it to you. And yeah, let me know what you think about him and kind of his fit in San Antonio. Yeah. So just kind of starting with the defense outside of Chet Holmgren, who I, who I think we can all agree is probably the best defensive prospect in the class. I think Jeremy Soham might be the number two. Um, you know, just his combination of lateral quickness, the physicality, versatility, and, and feel are off the charts. I think he's someone who could realistically hang with three positions full-time and then switch on to a lot of ones and then against fives and hold his own. We saw him towards the, the second half of the season when um, there was injuries, kind of play the five a little bit more and, and really shine in that, in that role also. Offensively, I, one thing that I really liked out of him was the passing flashes. Uh, he's not the most polished, definitely has his share of misreads and bad errors or, or whatever for a young player. But again, at that size, just the precision and feel and ability to create things for others off the dribble, that was excellent um, in my opinion. And you couldn't really ask for more because when you start asking for more, then you get into like the, the Scotty Barnes type of territory, which yeah. is yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously different different level of, um, you know, kind of point forward type of player. But the way that he can fit into the framework of an offense and um, attack a closeout, be able to, to make that play, drop-offs um, to the big, maybe a, a touch lob, things of that nature. He, he was able to do that pretty consistently. But, yeah, that was that was kind of the thing with him. I, I think he had a good amount of flashes in terms of being a scorer and being able to get all the way to the basket using his handle. Um, he has some bump fades in there and turnarounds that I really like to see that um, are really suggestive and encouraging towards his shooting potential. That's obviously one of the biggest swing factors, like you were mentioning. You know, we don't really know where he kind of fits in completely on offense yet, and that shooting is a big part of that. But just kind of some, some of those flashes throughout the season and, and how he grew throughout the season and became one of their best players, if not their best player, that was something that you really like to see. And it's a definite option at nine. Yeah, I also really like Jeremy. I thought he has some potential to be a bigger playmaker, not like a full-time playmaker, more like a, like the, and I hear people use this term and I, I really like it, like a, a sort of connective tissue kind of guy, not a guy who's going to get you into your sets all the time or full-time, but a guy who can keep the ball moving. Uh, he can run plays. He can run st some stuff from him, you know, maybe, and uh, maybe I'm, I'm wrong uh, on this field. I'm still sort of, you know, everybody's figuring this prospect stuff out. Damon and I are figuring this all the time out as we watch film, but he does remind me a little bit at times of a guy like Thaddeus Young. Like you wouldn't really use Thaddeus Young as like a full-time playmaker, but he's a good playmaking, you know, a hub from like the high post from the from the low post from the elbows that sort of stuff so I do like him in that regard I thought he might be able to run some pick and rolls too he's a good finisher at the rim for the most part um didn't you know didn't get to the rim as much as a guy like Kendall Brown he was a good cutter I think he ranked in the 92nd percentile in cutting but obviously on a much lower volume than Kendall Brown but I think there's a lot of things he's good at but nothing necessarily that he's like really great at at the moment, but you do like the flashes. And I, I did like the, the, the shooting, like he, like you mentioned, he was able to sort of 
back guys down or, or sort of dribble into like that spin into a fadeaway. I thought that was intriguing. The only thing that bothered me is at least like from the 10 games I watched, it never really looked like he ever just like straight up took a, you know, like a, a mid-range jumper off the dribble without like going into a spin. And it did feel like when he drove and went into spins that as the season went on, some of the later games that I watched, like it seemed like people, okay, we know you're going to do that. And they were able to strip him or cut him off. Like he didn't commit a lot of fouls or, or charge you know, guys that often, but it did feel like, okay, that's a little predictable. What else do you have in your bag? So I am intrigued to see what else he has. I don't want to give off the impression that he's like a perfect prospect, but the upside, it's really, really intriguing. And as I'm sure we'll get into with his defense, that's really, honestly, for me with all of these guys, that's what you're buying into is the defense because they can all be really impactful, at least at a certain point in their career, because we know, you know, coming in as a rookie day one, having a really positive impact, that's hard. Like that, most guys don't have a positive impact from year one. Yeah, and I think, too, like Corey mentioned to us last week before I kick it to Keandre to tell us about his defense, uh, Corey has mentioned to us last week how, like, it's really hard to expect rookies or, like, you know, just young players in general to be good at defense coming into the NBA because NBA defenses are so complex. But I think a guy like Sohan or even Tari Eason, like, in spots and in, in stretches especially, they're going to flash that upside immediately right off the box, right? And so, uh, Keandre, tell us a little bit more, though, about uh, Sohan's defense, kind of what you see, what you like, and uh, what he offers, you know, San Antonio if they went there at 9. Yeah, so, you know, kind of like I was mentioning earlier, I think he's one of the best in the class. And obviously there is a huge growth curve for most rookies. You, That's why what Herb Jones did this season is so special. Guys like even you throw like Davion Mitchell in there, what he's able to do at the point of attack. But it's very, very difficult for you to make an impact immediately. And I think that he can be a guy that, that does that at least on a consistent basis. It grows throughout the season and by the end, you got somebody who's, you know, really effective in the, on that front. But, you know, like I said before, three positions kind of full-time and then be able to switch on to ones, hold his own against fives at times. I really liked his feel for the game and just ability to kind of read things from that back end um, of, of the defense and also be able to kind of navigate screens at that size, which is a very unique quality. You don't really get to see that a lot. I love his foot speed. I think, you know, that's excellent. I just think that he can guard a lot of different positions and his versatility is going to be such a huge asset for them. And again, at that fourth spot for a team that already has some really, really good defenders, you, you might have the, like the makings of something really, really special on that from that perspective. Yeah, I love him defensively. I thought he had a really high feel for the game on this end. And honestly, as the season went on, I did get a chance to watch quite a few Baylor games this year. I only watched 10 full ones as we went back to watch film for this particular podcast. But my fiance, her whole family, they're, they're big Kansas fans. So they watch a lot of Big 12 basketball. I watched a lot of Baylor basketball by default. And I really liked, it felt like as the season went on, he sort of became like, uh, like the captain of the defense, like a vocal leader. And I thought it was pretty impressive for a team that top, I think top four, top five in the nation, you know, number one seed in the, in the NCAA tournament, a guy who was able to come in and sort of be that like floor general for you as a defender, as your like defensive anchor. That was really impressive. You know, I thought he, he communicated really well. He talked to his teammates, he was directing traffic. And I just think at 18 years old, you don't really see that that often. You know, that was really impressive for me. So I like that. I like the switchability. I like the high IQ. And the other thing is like I think sometimes when and this is not like in a in a bad way, but like when the casual fan watches basketball, they're sort of, you know, looking like okay, how many steals, how many blocks? And like he's not a guy who had a, you know, a ton of blocks per game or steals per game, but I think it's not all about event creation. 
Like being able to slide your feet with guys, cut them off on drives with your chest, you know, force kickouts or force a tough mid-range shot and, you know, late into a shot clock. Like being able to do those things, make life tough for guys, that's equally as valuable. And I thought he did that on a consistent basis. Really like him. Now, I don't think he's the same athlete that like Atari Eason or a Kendall Brown is, but I think he had a better feel. I think he still has really good foot speed. You know, the second jump, not not great, you know, not a, not a not a great second jump, not a guy who you're going to see I think come away with a lot of rebounds in a crowd, but like you like the foundation that he has. And I really like uh Jeremy Sohan. And I hope like I hope that he's a guy who if the Spurs end up going somewhere else at 9. I don't know if this is possible, but if he falls to 20, that they swoop him up cuz I I would love to see him in a Spurs jersey, see what they can do with him long term. Yeah, for sure. Um one thing I was going to touch on is kind of his like intensity and motor. I think that really shined in that UNC game and making that comeback. Um, obviously, he was kind of getting into it with um, Armando Baycott, and they kind of had their back and forth and everything. But just kind of being relentless and just constantly going at people and, and being able to, to make those rotations, like you said, it's not all about making those you know, highlight blocks or being able to get in the passing lane every time. You might, it might just be, you know, having good footwork on that closeout and not getting blown past. Um, it, just things of that nature that he was really, really good at, but it doesn't really pop for a lot of people. That's that's Sohan in, in a nutshell. Do you think, uh, you know, before we kind of tie this up, do you think that at nine, because I know you said something, you said that if hypothetically he was, he dropped like to 20, the Spurs should take him. Do you think he's a guy that you would take over Tari at nine, or don't, do you favor Tari at nine over a guy like Sohan? Or is, is nine too early for either one of those guys? What do you think? Because I, I, that, that, that's, that's a question. That's a question I want to hear. That's an answer I need. For the, for the Spurs, those are guys that are like really high specifically for them team-wise because I do think that it's closer in terms of the other options that are there, and then you already have guys that are basically the same age. But yeah, it's it's like I said before at the beginning, like it's really close between him and Tari for me. I still haven't decided completely, but I would I'd be fine with with taking Sohan at nine. And then if if for whatever reason he does start to get to fall in, I would even consider trading up for him um, into those teens to to be able to to snag him. Yeah, I can't say that I, I I would disagree with anything you just said. It is a sort of a toss up again. I think I said that earlier, but it is sort of a to- toss up with him and Tari. I I think. Right now, I'm a little more high on Jeremy, depending on the day, just because I really like the upside there. But I, I think Tari might be a little bit of a safer pick, and and not that not that that's necessarily that this something that the Spurs can afford to do. You know, we didn't see them go safe last year when they went with Josh Primo. They already had Devin Vassell and Trey Jones and Lonnie Walker and Dejounte Murray and Derek White. Like they didn't care. They said, okay, we're loaded in the backcourt, but like, who's gonna take us to the promised land? Like. No one. Like, DeJounte Murray emerged as an all-star. Awesome. But who else? Who else? So, like, I'm I'm fine with them taking a bet on a guy like Jeremy at 9. At the same time, I'm fine with Tari. Like, I wouldn't be upset with Tari at 9. But if the Spurs end up taking somebody and, and, and Sohan is there at, you know, 14, 15, sh- try to trade up. I don't know how they could. It is hard to make trades in the NBA. It's not like... It's harder than I think fans give like front offices credit for because Dame, you know this. Like Spurs fans, year after year after year after year at the trade deadline, they're they're like, oh, you know, trade deadline. Spurs aren't doing anything. Like they're not making any trades. They're not on the phone. But like we don't know that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you just simply just don't know that they probably are. But 
every year it's the same thing. Love Spurs fans, but it's like, okay, uh, you know, Lonnie's not playing that well right now. We don't even like Joe Wieskamp that much. And like, we have a first trade those guys and let's get like Dwayne Wade. Yeah, facts. Like, yeah. It's always, it's always yeah. for someone. It's like, get rid of our trash and let's get treasure. Like that. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did because if it did, you know that the Spurs would be loaded by now, but it yeah. is, it is tough. I'd love to see them trade up, but. It, again, it's it, it's all about the price, and, and do you have the assets to do that? Yeah, I think too, this trading in the NBA is different from like the NFL because the NFL you have you know seven rounds and you can get quality players, starting caliber talents in five, six, seven, you know rounds five through seven, and in the NBA, man, it's it's two rounds and typically right, you know the top three or four is what you want, and then everything else you're kind of you know it's a crapshoot, you know what I mean? And uh, I think what you know early in this process. I kind of fell into, like, the whole, you know, San Antonio picking at nine. That's kind of no man's land, right? Like, that's not really good enough to get what they really need. You know, that's too, you know, too... They're, they're just in a tough spot, right? But now, kind of going through this process, kind of looking at some more of these prospects, I think the Spurs really do have a shot to get a really solid player at nine at a position of need, right? Like, whether it's Sohan or whether it's Eason, uh, whether it's Kendall Brown, if they get him, you know, later at 20 or 25, whatever the case may be, the Spurs are definitely in a position... And I think kind of the fan base should kind of take that perspective. of They really are in a pretty solid position to get a player that can come in and play right away, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, one last thing, though, before I kick it back. The uh, the trade thing you mentioned, though, is funny because it's like every year, right, like the Spurs should trade a first for Cam Reddish, <laughs> right? Like, or, or the Spurs should trade two first and so-and-so for DeMontis Sabonis. Like, like, we wouldn't even be having Hoop Intellect on the show right now if they did something nonsensical like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. They they like they don't like Lonnie, but you know, bringing Cam like I lo- oh, I like Cam Reddish too, but like they have similar consistency <laughs> issues. You're just you're bringing in like a guy who's a little bigger. Uh, honestly, uh, this is not supposed to be like a bash Cam Reddish segment, so we won't talk about yeah. it. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. We'll, we'll see what they do here. I do think they have a lot of like avenues towards getting better Keandre I guess we'll ask for an outside perspective like you look at what the Spurs have on this roster right now they add any of these three guys we're talking about how much one how much better does it make them year one probably in my opinion not that much better and then long term what does it do because I think I'm just looking and I I I think I get labeled as like a resident pessimist a lot because like I, I just look at the rest like next year the Clippers will they'll have Paul George and they'll have Norman Powell and they'll have Kawhi Leonard back then you've got the Pelicans, like, okay, now you get Zion back with the momentum they were able to make in the playoffs, and they have their – like, it just feels like a lot of teams are are going to be in a position to be better than they were a year ago, and they were lower than the Spurs in the standings. So what is, what does it look like, like short-term and then long-term? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, so I agree with you short-term. I don't think that at nine you're really going to get somebody who's moving the needle in that way, especially with the West getting – tougher once again you're gonna have probably Portland being back with a vengeance you know getting Dame back Anthony Simons taking that jump they're gonna be better the Lakers probably are gonna be better I don't know what they're gonna end up doing but can it be can it be much worse than it was this year with LeBron and AD in them I don't know <laughs> I don't think so. yeah so it's gonna be kind of a, a longer process but I think you get one of those guys at that spot that you can develop in and bring along and hopefully get into those um, competitive games like you had this season. You see a lot of the young guys take strides this year. Towards the end of the season, Devin Vassell was looking like that guy that everybody was has was hoping for this whole time, especially offensively, knocking out shots like he was. But it's kind of it's just kind of a process. I think you kind of have to just hope that, you know, 
one of these guys makes you know even a, a further leap and it'll kind of jumpstart the process like Keldon Johnson if he can continue building on what he did this season and take that next step as you know a creator a scorer just being one of those more go-to guys um then it's gonna make things go a little bit faster but you're probably looking at the lottery again next year and then I don't know from from there there's a lot of players that I really like so you be in a good position and then it's just kind of free agency and whatever you can get make happen on that end or a trade possibly but that's kind of the the future outlook I kind of have on the Spurs but you could be in a much worse position that's for sure I think that they're they've got a pretty bright future that's just my outside opinion yeah, I'm sure Spurs fans are happy to hear that. I mean, like, we like the Spurs. We're always a little bit skeptical about, you know, where, where are they going to be in, like, a year or two? What is the ceiling of this team? Like, coming into the year, Dame and I were both, like, this is, like, a 35-34 win team, and they won, like, that many games, basically. And it's not because we didn't think they were, like, competitive. Like, we knew they were going to be competitive. You know, if, like, Greg Popovich is your head coach, he's going to get the most out of these guys. He's going to put them in a position where they're – playing to their strengths, you know, and like every single one of these guys, there's a clear identity, like not just in terms of their game, but in terms of like their psyche, they, they want specific kinds of guys in here, guys who are not going to hang their head after they lose guys who are hungry to get better guys who are okay. Next game. Like we're, we don't remember that we just lost, you know, our third straight clutch game. Like we're ready to come back the next night, compete. And so I, I like that identity for them. I guess, like you mentioned, it's just about, you know, who is going to take a leap is, is does, does DeJounte have another one in him? Can he become a superstar? You know, because right now he's really just all-star territory. Well, you know, he, he ended the season well. We'll see what he can do from there. Same thing with Keldon, like kind of like a fringe, you know, third option, second option kind of guy. Can he make a leap? Like that's a big deal. So internal growth, the drafting, the free agency, all that good stuff. Like Dame, I mean, do you, what, what do you see, man? Yeah, I think, I think like I just, like I mentioned earlier, like they're going to get a really solid prospect, right? A really solid talent. Even a, even a guy like Easton that I think can play right away, right? But no, in terms of moving the needle, I'm glad that uh, that Keandre mentioned the, the Trailblazers because I feel like they're going to be much better than what they were. I mean, no, they weren't even an NBA team. They the phoned last, it in. Yeah. They weren't even an yeah, NBA team. Yeah, they like phoned team. it in. Yes. like For sure. You know what I mean? And the Spurs played them, what, three times down the stretch? You know what I mean? Like Oklahoma yeah. City, like shout out to my other friend Noah. We went to, you know, you know when they played the Spurs. And bro, like SGA sat like 10 minutes into the game like you know what i mean like there's just everything giddy was out yeah like jre was out you know like dort was out and then the spurs needed a buzzer beater from lonnie who was shooting like 27 percent that game to bail him out like yeah i get it they didn't play well but i did admire like that they are competitive like you go back through the schedule there's only four real blowouts on that entire schedule. Oh, yeah. Like they pretty much, it was like, you're either close win, close loss. They like almost never blew people out. They almost never got blown out. So it's interesting to see what step they take from here because it does feel like they have flexibility, right? I mean, yeah. like outside of a guy like Doug McDermott, who's probably getting paid a little bit more than he should, and he's not necessarily the best fit, like you have a lot of flexibility. You can do a lot of things. So I, I'm confident they'll be better. It's just. How much better, you know? How much better? Yeah, I mean, the competition around them is going to be so much better. Like, the West is, like, like you mentioned the Lakers, right? Like, I, I would I would put some significant money the Lakers ain't missing the playoffs next year. They're going to, something's going to happen, right? I don't know how, how that's going to work, but something's going to shake. I don't know what it is, but yeah. just, like, just like that, the Clippers, like you mentioned, Noah, I just think in general, 
where the Spurs are at short term, I wouldn't expect them to be in the play-in, let alone the playoffs next year. And again, it's not to say they're not a bad, they're not a you know a good team or anything. I mean, they're a below-average team right now. But I mean, just in general, the West is going to be getting much better. Where they're at, and and the only way they can compete, in my opinion, is if someone takes that leap, and then maybe you get a little bit more from another guy, whether that's you know Vassell taking a jump or whatever the case it is, right? But yeah, I think right now. Spurs fans and everyone shouldn't be looking at this as a as a one year rebuild. That stuff just does, doesn't exist in the NBA unless you know Luka Doncic and Giannis are coming, and I don't think they are. I can call them, maybe they will, but I doubt that they're going to answer. And uh, I just think in general, man, <laughs> it's this is a, a, a long term plan. Something that uh, you know when the trade deadline came and I mentioned that the Spurs attacked it like a rebuilding team and they did it the right way. That's essentially what it was, right? Like that was beautiful, beautiful work. But this is a long term plan, right? So. I think just in general, wherever the Spurs go in this draft, no one should be expecting there to be, you know, Tim Duncan and Monty walking through that door. But at the same time, you're in a good spot because you're developing talent that actually fits together. And eventually, you know, something will probably come from it, in my opinion, whether it's a playoff appearance, a couple of them, you know, whatever the case may be, I would trust this organization to take the right steps and uh, eventually get back to their winning ways. Yeah, I I feel like I have you know sort of a connection to the Spurs I I want to see them do well because my mom was a Spurs fan well she okay. still is a Spurs <laughs> fan for life so that was kind of the team that I grew up watching you know some of my first basketball memories were that Spurs Nets finals so that's that's kind of the, the connection I got there and then also people don't know this but I actually went to the same high school as R.C. Buford okay so that's 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 a random fact and also, his dad actually helped me out going going to college. He gave me a little scholarship that helped me out there too. So that's kind of my connection to the Spurs. So I always kind of got a little bit of a rooting rooting interest there. So uh, might be a little bit biased, but that's that's just what it is from the outsider perspective. That's okay, and that that's really awesome. And to to be a hundred percent honest, I think both of us like we try to be as objective as possible. We try to be really honest. We don't want to sell fans something that we don't believe. But I'll go ahead and go out on a limb here. I do think that the Spurs will be better next year. I do think that they will either be in the sort of higher tier play-in range or a very bottom playoffs team. I know that the, a lot of teams are going to get better, but I think the Spurs team will be better next year. And one of the reasons I feel like they will be better is they do have a, a level of familiarity with each other. They have gone through the grind together. And I think there is a certain degree of community like big brain thinking right like you get used to each other's tendency you build a chemistry you understand where like your guys want to be on the floor where they want to get the ball and so I think like you'll probably see some of that in conjunction with whatever they do this offseason again they're going to have upwards of probably about 32 to 33 million dollars to spend in free agency they could move off of guys by trading them they have flexibility in the draft like I just think that they will be better next year I don't have an exact seed for you, but I do think they will be in that plan to playoff range. But Dame, Keandre, unless either of you have anything you want to add to this or any other guys you want to talk about, we can start wrapping things up. Yeah, I think I think for me, before I kick it to Keandre, I think the Spurs just in general, wherever they go in this draft, like I mentioned, they're going to have a, you know, a good chance to get a player that can contribute. But again, man, I think... Um, I think just what really shocked us all this past season, and Noah, kind of to your point about them, you know, improving. If they're a better defensive team this year, I mean, who knows where they are at, right? I mean, they're a, a pretty, a pretty poor defensive team for the first probably fifty games of the year, right? Like they're uh, Noah and I, uh, Keandre, on, on you know, coming into the season, we were like, hey, the Spurs are probably going to be you know a bottom five to eight offensive team, 
and a top 10 defense probably. They're going to have the Knicks philosophy of just strong defense, really just efficient yet limited offense, and they'll kind of ride that wave and potentially, hey, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens, right? Completely flipped, right? Offensively, they were really efficient for the bulk of the year. And defensively, you know, respectfully, these guys are much better athletes than I ever will be. But they were awful defensively, right? Like, it, it's just, this is called a spade a spade, right? If it wasn't Yaka Pirtle, it was a wrap, right? <laughs> like, so I think, in general, if the Spurs are a better defensive team and they draft, you know, guys, all of them who we mentioned are great, you know, defensive prospects, who knows what they can do, right? So that's kind of my final thoughts on the, the entire discussion. Yeah, the only thing I would add is, you know, um, Noah asked me to, to kind of have some other people in mind, possibly for this ninth pick. I think Keegan Murray kind of fits the same sort of realm. Now, his draft stock really ballooned and it skyrocketed towards the end of the season. I've seen people have him as high as fifth in their mock drafts, big boards, things of that nature. So it might be a little bit more of a, of a stretch for him to fall down to nine, but I think you look at him, he's a lot more polished offensively, a little bit older than than the rest of these guys, but kind of fills that role just a little bit better offensively, and it also gives you a lot of, you know, that event creation like you mentioned earlier um, in terms of blocks and steals. Might not be as great of a defensive prospect individually as these other guys, but, um, you know, really, really, really good on that end too. So that would be a guy that I would, you know, possibly consider if he's there. And then um, I think if we're talking Spurs kind of picks, I think Usman Jang is somebody who could end up popping up at that spot. Um, you just look at him coming out of France, going into the NBL, had a really, really rough start at 18 years old in the NBL. A lot of expectations. You just watched what LaMelo Ball did, Josh Giddy did. So things were bound to kind of go like that. And then second half of the season turns it on. 6'10 dude who can dribble. He can really pass it. He, he's got a lot of potential defensively. I think that's someone who the Spurs would definitely have their eyes on, but um, could be possibly a bit of a reach at nine, just you know, considering the landscape of everybody's draft stock and things of that nature. But that's somebody who I would definitely at least consider there too. Yeah, I think, I think that's interesting too because I, I really like him. I think I might be higher than him on than like some other people. I have him 21st on my big board. But like a year ago... I had Josh Primo 30th on my big board. And so when they, they called his name at, at 12, I was I was shocked. I wasn't like, oh, I, I absolutely hate this pick. I was more like, oh my, I can't believe they did that. Like that's a huge, that's a huge upside swing. Like you're taking a huge swing there on a relative unknown. You're hoping that like all these ancillary skills sort of develop and he is what you think he is down the road. And you're okay with him not being impactful like one, two years. Like we saw that. Like Josh Primo, there's no nice way to put it. Like he had good flashes in the G League. He had a few flashes here and there in the NBA. But like for the most part, pretty inefficient, high turnover, fouled probably a little bit more than you wanted to, got caught on backdoor cuts. You know, not really the greatest shooter, at least year one. Like I think it was too small of a sample size to read into in the NBA. But like he is a project. So like another guy like Dang, like if they take him ninth. I would probably have a similar reaction, like, really, that happened? But at the same time, I could easily talk myself into it being like, all right, well, I'm fine with kind of being here for the long haul and seeing how this turns out. Because after they took Primo at 12, it would not surprise me if they did something similar this year. Dame, do you feel the same way? No, I, I was actually going to talk about a different prospect. I know I know who y'all are talking about. I haven't watched too much on him. But yeah, I think, I think Noah, you just have like 
I think you really, really like kind of those long, rangy forwards that can put the ball on the floor a little bit. Like, I know you're a big, like, Pokashevsky guy and just, like, guys like that in general. I, I just, was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not to say that this guy's Pokashevsky. I still like him. Yeah. I still oh, like Pokashevsky, oh, by the way. Oh, I do, too. Don't give me, Yeah, no, I do, too. But uh, I was going to bring up one more prospect, a guy that I've been watching a lot of and I kind of really like a lot, maybe higher than, you know, most. But I like Dyson Daniels a lot. I was wondering what y'all thought for the Spurs, like, hypothetically, if they trade back into, you know, 14 or something like that. How, what you would think about him uh, for the Spurs? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's an option at nine too. Um, he's in that kind of same sort of group for me. Obviously, him being you know a little bit more guard oriented, it makes it a little bit different than some of the other guys. But in terms of looking at this class and who are the guys who have the best chance to be positive defenders and like really get into that you know great tier, he's one of those guys for me. Definitely, there's rumors that he kind of. Um, grew to 6'8 even, so he might be able to play a little bit more comfortably on the wing. Obviously has some things to work on in terms of shooting, but even if you look at like what he did in the Rising Stars game, he looked apart. Um, he fit in really well with them, just what he's able to do defensively first and foremost, and then as a passer and kind of just filling gaps, attacking closeouts, getting to the rim. He loves to use that little floater. Um, in the lane, so I think that he's a guy who could possibly be an option there for the Spurs too, even as high as nine. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit with Corey last week, and I don't, I don't think like anything that we talked about has changed my mind that much about him. I do like him. I think he's another one of those like high field prospects. I think he's going to be a plus defensively, like pretty quickly in the league. I don't know year one, but like I don't think it's going to take him that long to figure it out. And I do like him again, like we mentioned last week. Like if he is six eight and not six six, I do like him a little bit more at six eight than at six six. Like he's long, he's a little taller in that case. Uh, I think he's a really good passer. And the the only real like gripe that I have with him as like if we're going to be realistic with a prospect in that range who I have thirteenth on my big board, I, I don't think he's like that aggressive of a score. Like I think he's almost unselfish to a fault at times, which was a li- like a little bit frustrating. I know there was a lot of talent on that G League at night team. You know, they didn't play a ton of games, so like the, simp- the sample size is a lot smaller. So like I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt as like a shooter because like you said, didn't really start off that strong, got better as the second half of the season went on. But I don't know if I would want him at nine, to be honest. I- I'm fine with him like a little later. Like if he's there at 20, I think no brainer. But nine, I would be a little hesitant. But that's just me. I'd just be a little bit hesitant. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I see kind of your thought process on that because, you know, being a guard, you have to be a little bit better. If you're not a great shooter on the spot up and things of that nature, he was a lot better, you know, percentage wise in that second half. But in, in the totality of his game, it's definitely something he needs to work on. But if you're not that great spot up shooter, you got to be able to to create an advantage a little bit better. He is a good passer, but he's not somebody who's like really going to, to put pressure on you in that way. So that's kind of a, a possibility, you know. Is he is he can he be a primary or is he more, you know, secondary? So that's that's something I I, I definitely see in his game. But I per me personally, I think that, you know, just what he can bring to the floor defensively and um you know, some of those other skills like the guys that we've mentioned today, kind of similar, just in a little bit smaller package, I think that he can bring and and then he also is a little bit better ball handler. Um so that's why he's in that same mix for me. I think that's to- I think that's totally fair. Like I could easily be talked into a number of different scenarios and I definitely respect your opinion on that too. So I'm not I'm not arguing against that. Yeah, man. It's like it's like it's like Doctor Strange, man. You just got a whole lot of possibilities, whole lot of a whole <laughs> lot of options, man. Whole lot of options, but 
Yeah, I think for me, fellas, I think that that just about wraps it up. I think that we talked about a lot of heat today, man. I like the Dyson Daniels discussion. Loved, you know, hearing what I had to think uh, think about, you know, Tari Eason, uh, Jeremy Sohan, even Kendall Brown, right? A guy that we're not as high on, right? But still makes sense for the Spurs. I think uh, a sentiment that I've echoed a million times, the Spurs are going to have a chance to get players that can really contribute and really fit what they need. So I think overall, this is a, a pretty good discussion, fellas. Yeah, and honestly, thank you so much for hopping on. I know this is later. Our, our listeners know, you know, we started at like 10 p.m. We've been doing this for an hour. It's 11. You hopped on on Mother's Day. We appreciate everything you did. So go ahead and let all our Spurs fans, all the audience know, you know, where can they find you on social media? Where can they find your basketball content, your YouTube content, all that good stuff? So we'll kick it to you and the floor is yours. Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube. Um, just search up Hoop Intellect. Um, I do a lot of draft-related content right now. We'll do a lot of other NBA stuff. You know, we did a preseason video on DeJounte Murray last year, so might be another spur coming up in the future. So that's where you can find me on YouTube. And then on Twitter, I'm at Hoop Intellect with three L's. It should come up, be able to find me there. On Instagram, Hoop Intellect as well. So that's kind of my, my socials. I appreciate y'all for having me on. Love talking to Spurs fan. I like talking to different teams and getting their perspective on things. So um, this is fun. Yeah, man, we very much appreciate you coming on. Dame, the floor is yours now, so let fit, you know, let Spurs fans know where can they find you. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks for joining us, bro. I mean, I was telling I was telling him off the air. Really big fan of what he does. Uh, I don't really I'm not really a fan of much in general, <laughs> but I'm really a fan of Hoop Intellect and what he does, man, and just really really good stuff, bro. Keep it up. Definitely, uh, you know, lifelong subscriber, bro, for, you know, however long you do this stuff for. So, uh, shout out to you for coming on though, for real. Noah, shout out to you coming on too, man. I mean, Mother's Day, we're all you know, really, really busy, but <laughs> hey, man, eleven o'clock. You gotta make things. Ha- you gotta make things happen. So, just follow me on Twitter, y'all at da Bartonic. Same old, same old. You see everything. Pounding the Rock, Hogs Haven, uh, Texas Insider, Alamo City Limits. Whatever I do, it's on there. Just, just holler at me. But yeah, man, thanks again for having uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and you can find me at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O on Twitter. You can find all of my words, all of Dame's words at Pounding the Rock for all your Spurs-related content. But that about does it. Everybody knows where else to find our podcast. So thanks again for joining us, and thanks to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out but until next time Spurs fans take care